0: Now, they say no news, news is good news. But as I haven't really heard from you over the weekend, I'm wondering if, if that is the case. And I, I don't see a trophy, a medal or anything anything nearby.
1: Well, we picked
0: up one trophy,
1: but we'd already won that because we won the league, the, the South East League okay. or London League. We call it London League because all the teams are in London, but it's technically the South East. So we won that trophy. We had an awards ceremony at the beginning. This is National well, it used to be called National Club League, but they unveiled their new brand or the new name for the t- competition, which is just National League. So it's now National League. Um, but we were down there. Yes, I was representing Cumberland Club. Uh, we did not win the trophy. It's been now. Uh, we last won it, I think, four or five years ago. So quite a while, maybe four years ago. Um, but we did. We lost to the winners in the semifinals. So we got through to the semifinals uh, and then we lost quite heavily we lost all of our singles matches oh. uh, which means you don't even bother playing
0: the doubles oh. you just go home <laughs> <laughs> did they did they have an exceptional team or was it more an exceptional person they had
1: uh, a very strong team actually it was deep uh, all the way through
0: but we had lots of fun it was a good weekend <laughs> that's to me it's the taking part and were you pleased with your own performances yeah, I, I was
1: kind of pleased. I mean, I only played two singles matches. Uh, my doubles was terrible. I apologized to my partner. <laughs> but um the sing- the singles was uh, was all right, yeah. It was it's tough cuz you're on clay. So if you don't play anymore regularly, Clay kind of shows that the difference between people who play regularly and those who don't even more because the movement is so difficult. So moving off the mark and recovering and those sorts of things, they're the things that you lose when you don't play regularly. And then on the clay, you really, really need them. So it can uh, feel... Like you're very much up against it, but uh, no, uh, a very enjoyable weekend, lots of antics going on, lots of former players. Tell you who flew in from New York for, not on the women's side, on the men's side, Joe Salisbury came and played. Really? Lovely. Yeah, he did pretty well in New York as well. And he must have literally flown in, turned up, big smile, was like, yep, I'm here. National Club League or National League, sorry, LTA, National League. (laughs) And uh, off we go. So, uh, yeah, I think he was undefeated. And then lots of former players playing some incredibly strong teams. Uh, the, the men's was particularly strong this year. So, uh, yeah, but it was uh, yeah, good, good weekend.
0: Now, while you were playing tennis, I was talking about tennis. Of course. Back in London, um, having come back early for the school run, was then working on the finals at the weekend. And... I mean, what a we... Let, let's, let's, let's just do it in order. Let's start with the first final. Let's start with Bianca Andreescu, who... Oh, I thought you were going to start with my first singles match. I thought we were going to break this down for a second. <laughs> you know what we'll do? For those people who are now disappointed that we're not going to do that, we'll do maybe a separate podcast just breaking down your singles performances. That if, if, if anybody wants to download and listen to that, we'll, maybe that could be our Christmas special. A bonus edition. A bo- <laughs> okay. No there's, no, there's no need. There's no need.
1: Sorry. A bonus edition. I want to talk about the, the finals in New, in New York, but from London
0: for you. How, how was it? Incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. It was, well, it was slightly different because I was in a studio in London and I was working with a team who are out in New York. So you feel connected, but a little bit, disconnected, as it were. But in turn, but you, you soon got sucked in by what was happening And Bianca Andreescu. She's 19. It's a lot of people hadn't heard about her or knew much about her before this year. It, I mean, it's, it's fairytale stuff. We were talking about this last year with, with Naomi Osaka, but what about Bianca Andreescu? It, it, it's just the way she plays that a lot of people saying, where's the weakness? Where's the weakness in the Andriescu game? Because she see, and I know you can always learn and you will always develop, but she seems very complete for a 19 year old, both mentally and physically. Yeah, I think of all the players in the top
1: 10, because she is now in the top 10, she is the most complete, I think, in terms of the game. She can kind of morph into anything that she wants. Similar ish to, to Sloane Stevens, I think it's even more complete than Sloane Stevens, but she's the last player that I think of that really could morph one day she'd just be thumping it and another day she'd be counter punching and, and that sort of thing she doesn't quite have the variety that Andreescu has so Andreescu has an extra option there as well but yeah I mean sometimes I've done Andreescu matches because I was commentating on Toronto when she won there and she was at home and I was saying yeah we're going to see lots of variety lots of drop shots and then you barely see one you just see her clubbing it from the back of the court <laughs> and you think well yeah I mean a backcourt game is great as well and then the next se- the next day you'd be saying, oh yeah, you know she she moves so well, she soaks up pace, she's thumping it from the back of the court, and then she's doing all these dinks and charging to the net and and little drop shots here and there, and her serve is so good. Like, it's an extraordinary game to watch. I think it's probably the most exciting out of those kind of near the top of the game at the moment. I suppose Barty. I mean that that little trio of Barty, Osaka, and Andrescu is got a lot going for it, hasn't it? Because three very different game styles: Osaka bringing the power, Barty bringing the finesse, uh, and the volley game, and Andrescu saying, "Well, I can do it all." So, <laughs> it's. I think it's got the, got the making of something interesting there, potentially, because that dep- very much depends on how they go, how they uh, deal with being up at the top of the game, but extraordinary. 19 years old. We said, or I've said for a couple of weeks now that she's just forgotten how to lose. I mean, who's she going to lose to?
0: I don't know. <laughs> I think, I get the feeling she's going to deal with it quite well. Only today I was looking through social media. She's been on The on the View in America. She's been on the Jimmy Fallon show. She's been taking pictures with... Um, Ashton Kutcher, the actor, and saying, "Oh, do you want to play mixed doubles?" and uh, I think she's really going to enjoy it. With with Naomi Osaka, it feels different because she's an introvert. She is very, very shy. She feels quite awkward, or she initially did when she was doing these big speeches. Andreaeşcu, she was so cool, calm, and collected as she's doing the speech. She's nineteen. It's. I think she's going to handle it really well and. Can we talk about creative visualisation? It, it's mm. something that comes up a lot with her that she said her mum and her mum and dad and the dog is called Coco. Yes. I think, you know, I'm not good with dogs. Coco. Um, so it's something her mum kind of almost forced her, slashed, encouraged her to do when she was young. It's It's, it's mindfulness, isn't it? Really just taking... A little bit of time to imagine something, and you do it enough, and then suddenly it happens. And and for her, she said when she won, was it the Orange Bowl that she imagined the check in her mind for winning? I'm thinking with inflation, the check wasn't as big as the one that was handed over to her. Um, And and she kept believing, and she kept believing, and and visualizing. And there it is; she's holding the trophy and the check. Yeah, I think it was an extra four
1: hundred and fifty thousand dollars from the one that she wrote. Wow. To the one that she actually got.
0: <laughs> yes, I I totally get
1: get the the, the positive thinking and the visualization. And um,
0: are you into that? Is that something? Did you ever? Are you a
1: mindfulness person? No, I'm definitely a mindfulness person. I think that that is fantastic, and uh, I, I do it a bit. I, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm fully committed to it, but I. I mean, my philosophy is more kind of realistic, I suppose. I'm a bit more of a realistic in life because a lot of these incredibly successful people say, well, I'm just a really positive thinker and I work incredibly hard and actually anybody can do it. And it doesn't work like that, unfortunately, because for everyone who has done that, there are 500 more who have failed. And it's the same in anything in life, whether it's sport or or business, you know, luck plays a big part of it. What happens in your life plays a big part of it. Um, So yeah, I mean, look, I'm a fan of thinking positively. I'm a fan of the visualization, but um, to put... (laughs) All of the responsibility onto that, I think, is quite absurd, in, in my personal opinion, as some people seem to be doing. Because, as I say, you only ever hear from the ones who have achieved it. And they all say the same thing well, I work very hard, and I'm a. And, and also, they have this kind of air of like nobody else does that. if if you do this you will be successful like that that's just it and it's just not true It's, it's just not the way that life works unfortunately like I'm sorry guys I mean I was part of the um post Sharapova uh her story like I was part of that wave I didn't join in on it but I saw it in terms of yes Sharapova moved across the world and her family had to split up and her dad had to work cleaning the toilets at the IMG academy so that she could train and 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 all of this stuff and they spent all of their money and invested everything into their daughter and now she's won Wimbledon at 17 like amazing incredible story the media lapped that up but i can tell you for a fact that there are 500 other kids that did exactly the same and didn't make it and didn't get anywhere close to it and i'm not saying they worked as hard i'm not saying that but i'm just saying that yeah writing yourself a check (laughs) is <laughs> is not going to make it
0: magically appear. I love the way you bring us down to earth with a bump. Sorry guys. <laughs> as I'm soon sorry. as we finish recording this, I'm going to delete my mindfulness app. No.
1: Mindfulness it's not is not going to work.
0: Visualization is great, but you also have to have a dose
1: of reality because life happens <laughs> and and it it works out for some people and it doesn't work out for others and that shouldn't be the measure of your worth is what I'm saying, because then I think that it can really cause a a lot of problems. Anyway, she is awesome though. And, uh, it's, uh, it's been a great tool for her. But it's not the reason why why she's achieved what she's achieved. I think if she took you through every step that she has taken since she won Orange Bowl uh, a few years ago, you would recognise that potentially the visualisation part is a very, very minor aspect of what she's actually put into the fact that she's now US Open champion. And the other thing is that little...
0: Swirly hairband that she wears. Oh well, of course. I mean that, <laughs> that we forgot. I mean that's fifty percent of it, right there, isn't See, it? See, look, I've got mine on here. You've got yours on. Wait, oh my, oh mine's here. It's not an honour or, or dedication to Andreescu. It's just because we're children every now and then. I need it to scrape the hair back. But um, <laughs> it, it's something that people say. Well, what does it do? Is it is it spiritual? Is this? It, it's a hairband, but it's obviously become a bit of a thing for her because it's always there. People do though. Whenever anybody has this has
1: a level of success that people are um maybe not jealous of envious of but interested in everybody wants to know what the secret was what was the secret what what did it what what was the reason and it's just it's not like that's just not how it works and it, it, it's amazing now she's won the us open and everybody's saying oh well it's the visualization it's this it's that like it it's not it's the whole thing that those are just the ways that she did it But the amount of work that's gone in, the amount of luck that is involved, I'm not saying it's all been luck, but that is a a chunk of it because that's just life, right? You know, that's just the way that it goes. And I don't mean luck in terms of draws or, oh, she was lucky with who she played. She didn't play Serena till the final. None of that. She would have beaten anyone at any time in that tournament. <laughs> that's that's not what I'm saying. But, for example, to be able to work with a fantastic coach like Nathalie Tozier when she was younger at Tennis Canada. Um, Nathalie Tozier has a fantastic record took her to being number one junior like that's it's lucky to be in that position because maybe Tennis Canada have rubbish coaches and there isn't anybody good you can access and that you have to travel like Sharapova did around the world to go and find a coach but that you can't do that and and all of these sorts of things there are lots of kids in different situations where they don't have access to the right thing and that's what I mean more by uh, uh that that luck and circumstance, I suppose, plays a part. But um, yeah, there is this kind of craving as to how does she do it? How does she do it so that my child can do it? It's um, I, I find it fascinating.
0: Serena Williams, where are you with equaling... Potentially breaking the record, still one away. It's now been four Grand Slam finals since she returned to the tour, which is incredible. But from what you are seeing, what are your thoughts on that? I think she's going to do it.
1: I still think she's going to do it. And I know that you don't. I know that you've said that
0: you just don't think she's quite going to get it. Is that right? I think she, she's she's more than. I don't want people thinking. Oh, I think she. Of course, she is more than capable. I just think that it's and and physically, she's looking as good as she has done since she's returned. I just think mentally, it is such a big thing, and also the players against her they're losing a bit of that fear factor because they're seeing people beating her that 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 aura goes a little bit with with anybody once you see that they're they're human and that's only going to grow in the young players and maybe mentally that pressure is only going to increase because she will shortly be 38 and Does she want to extend her family? Something she'll have to think It's not going to get... Nothing gets easier as you get older. Nothing. Everything just seems to get a little bit harder. And I just... Of course she can do it. And she's done remarkably well since she's returned to the tour. Uh, I just... I'm just not sure she will. Well, if we break down the four slam finals that she's competed
1: in. And yeah, I get that they were all pretty much straightforward apart from the second set of this one. The first two uh Kerber and Osaka, I didn't feel like she was at the level of winning a slam. I felt like actually the fact that she was in the final was kind of impressive. I was like, wow, okay. I mean when she made the final of Wimbledon and she lost to Kerber, it, it was it was just that Kerber was playing that much better. And I just felt like it was a big jump up in the final. Yeah, I, I dunno, and then the Osaka one, of course Stuff happened, but again, I just didn't feel like she was necessarily playing well enough. This year, however, in the final of Wimbledon against Halep and the final here against Andreescu, I felt like she was playing well enough to win a Slam. Like it was like, yeah, she's playing well. She's playing really well. She can definitely win a Grand Slam. But nobody can beat Halep playing like that. Um, that was absolutely extraordinary. But Serena's level wasn't at the level it had been at through the rest of the tournament. She definitely dropped off, particularly on her serve. And the same thing at the US Open. I think I don't think Andreescu played a blinder like Halep. I think Halep played the match of her life in Wimbledon. I don't think Andreescu did, but I've, maybe Andreescu was just playing better because she's pretty
0: much the best player in the world right now. Is it therefore a mental thing with Serena Williams? Because we had seen how she'd been playing throughout the two weeks at Flushing Meadows. It was even awesome at times. And then suddenly into the final, what is the difference? I know Andreescu had been playing so well, but Serena Williams said afterwards, yeah, I didn't play well, it wasn't a great match. Is it because mentally it it she's too preoccupied with what it would mean by equaling the record and then going on to break it? I mean, she will probably be regarded anyway as the greatest of all time, but if she equals or breaks this record, it just goes up another level. So are you thinking therefore that? It's more a mental thing that she wasn't able to come through against Andreescu. And I agree with you, Halep. Halep had that look in, her, look in her eyes. No one, no one is. You put six people the other side of the net and I'm going to beat them all at the same time and win this trophy. But Andreescu, there was a chance there with the way Serena Williams had been playing, right? Yes,
1: I think there was a chance. But I just felt like Andreescu has been playing the best tennis in the world for a few months. And, or a couple of months, I suppose. And, yeah, I didn't expect Serena to win that match, for sure. I thought Andrescu was, was the favourite and was going to win. But Serena, her level wasn't where it had been. Her serving wasn't where it needed to be. And maybe it is the pressure. Maybe she does just want it too much. Um In the final, maybe she is expecting these young kids to be overawed in the final because they're playing Serena at the US Open and they're not being at all. They're just kind of like, well, you know, it's fine. I, I don't know, but I don't think Serena played her best level. I think it would have been awesome to have seen her play her best level. And we were just getting a little taste of it there in that second set when she was coming back. And I thought, yeah, if she can get this second set and take it to a third, I think it could be one of the most extraordinary sets of tennis we ever see if Serena had got her serving better uh, to be able to do that damage to Andreescu. But we just didn't quite get there in the end because Andreescu managed to close it out and fair play to her. So I don't know. I just felt like Serena, she just got close once again. It just seems like there's always... She's the second best player in these tournaments, isn't she? But
0: do you agree that it, it just gets harder now? A combination of, and of age of players not not fearing as much, etc. Would you agree with that, or do you do you think that's not right?
1: Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. I still think she's got some time.
0: I think particularly next
1: year will probably be the best year. It's a, she's had enough time back competing, enough matches under her belt, enough competition. She's had enough experiences in the finals. Maybe she'll be less scared of losing because she's already done it four times. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. And as I said, I said from the very beginning that I just think that Serena will always be putting herself in good situations and that at some point it will open up. Like that's what happens in draws. Sometimes it just opens up for you and and you end up bursting through or you end up taking that win. We've seen it happen before. And as I said, it seems like she's always the second best player in the tournament. So what she, what she needs to have happen is for the best player in the tournament to lose before they reach the final against her. She needs to do
0: some creative visualization, right? <laughs> Can you imagine if she does that and now wins? Everyone would be, oh, be all over it. We'll say, Naomi. You see, it does work. I, we were talking a while back about this, and I don't even know if you're old enough to remember the Rocky films, but I kind of get the feeling. And I know if you're not going to do this, but a little bit like a Rocky film, when ahead of his fight, he goes I don't know up into a mountain for I don't know. Two months, and he's dragging logs around and all that kind of stuff away from the family. I kind of feel that Serena's like lock herself away and like a boot camp for six months, do everything mentally and physically, and think right. I'm going to nail this. I'm going to get one that will probably relieve the mental pressure once I equal it. Then I'll get another one, and and then we'd sort it. Then it's done.
1: Yeah, she could do that. But I just get like, I know that everybody's talking about her equaling the record, but she has the record in the Open Era.
0: No, am I wrong? I don't know no. Don't now. I don't want you back on your soapbox about this record and no record. Thing. Do you know what? I bought my no, soapbox? stop it. Just for this episode, it's right here stop underneath it. my stop feet. It. Stop, stop it. it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop <laughs> it! Because because record, no record, right record, wrong record. It is. That's just what everyone talks about now. And I think she and herself. It's yeah,
1: nonsense, though. <laughs> it's nonsense. That's just not the way that it goes. What? Right? Okay. So if I start a tournament. Where I live in Lambeth, in South London. Here we go, everybody. Oh,
0: yeah, exactly. Right, hold tight. <laughs> the problem you've got, or the problem Serena's got, is that everybody, including Billie Jean King, who tweeted, "I would love Serena to equal the record at Flushing Meadows and then break it at the Australian Open." So when you've got a legend like Billie Jean King, even using words of when you equal it and break it, that that just is what it is. Now we can. She will. She, she will, as I say, more than likely go down as the greatest of all time. But in terms of what is being said, spoken about, what we, what we always say when we talk about Serena in a Grand Slam is she is one away from equaling the record, <laughs> unless you're <name. laughs> I never say that because I
1: think it's absolute nonsense. Because look, Margaret Court was a fantastic tennis player, don't get me wrong. She did some extraordinary things, but some of those slams were not in the open era or am i wrong i don't know again loose facts but i'm pretty sure (laughs) they weren't all in the open era and that's and if it's not in the open era it's not open (laughs) it's not open to anyone that's not fair that's just that's that's the way it is (laughs)
0: I want to talk about Eddie briefly, if I can. Hi, Eddie. Because, um, not just to change the subject, um, because last week you doubted that Eddie from immigration was still listening. You thought that was amazing that he listened to the podcast after I met him at immigration, but you thought there's no way he's still listening. Mm -hmm. Eddie has got back in touch to say, quoting Eddie, that we have a listener for life. Wow. And that Eddie, who wasn't really into tennis, is now taking an interest in the sport and... And that just maybe he might make it to Wimbledon next year. No way. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And well, I said, I wrote back and said, um, if you do, you're going to be on the podcast, you're going to be our special guest on the podcast.
1: (laughs) Can you imagine?
0: I I mean, 100%. So, so Eddie, I don't know if he's, he's brought in the rest of US immigration to listen. I think that might be quite a stretch. But Eddie, so... You were a disbeliever, but Eddie, Eddie's a listener. I'm, well, I'm impressed. Hello, Eddie. Thanks for joining
1: us. I love, I love it. That's good. I like that our fans tend to stick with us. Yeah, he's, he's new to us, but looks like... Mike's... It's got to be a good thing though, right? That people don't listen once and
0: then say, see you later. After your soapbox rant, I might have lost a couple on this episode. Oh no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Can> we... <laughs> um, I want to touch more on now, the men's final. Amazing. Again, I was doing it from London. So it finished around 3 a.m. Little bit bleary eyed. Um, I don't really almost want to talk about because we've got so much to talk about so much about Nadal. It's incredible. He's won away from Federer, uh, which is good because he's now going to go into his wedding in November and he was all happy, he got that, etc. etc. More about Daniel Medvedev and the character he is, being able to turn that around. Uh, he's never won a five set match and that's still stands but to be in the position where he got into a fifth set he looked like he could hardly move winning the crowd they were chanting his name this is the crowd that were they were booing him a few days back and he was saying when when you go to sleep it's because of you that I'm doing this I mean he's an absolute legend and he's also he's also the Russia's new world number four I just
1: I I love it I just oh, I said this last time I just think it was great he really embraced being the villain but then it turned out that he wasn't really the villain was he all along he was actually just kind of nice and just using the energy from the crowd and um I'm so pleased he's at the top of the game I think we need a character like his as I say everybody else is very nice very respectful very pleasant and very boring so (laughs) I think having somebody just to just to mix it up a little bit would be great. And some of these young guys are a bit like that. Sitspass is good as well. He's different. I mean, he's very respectful, very nice, but he's a little bit different. He does some kind of kooky things off the court. But um, yeah, uh, just, just great and thoroughly deserved. I mean, the guy, even trying to contemplate how tired he must be,
0: he needs, he needs like three months off, I think. <laughs> I don't know if he can play anymore this year. There's not a lot of him anyway. He's six foot six, and so there's not any fat on him. I mean, the amount of weight he must have lost over the course of that five hours, I I honestly don't know. I don't know how he was standing at the end. He had bits of kinesio tape, sort of attached to bits, and the tape was kind of curling off towards the end. It was uh, my favorite thing was was his speech, and he said a couple of things because there was a big montage of the. 18 now 19 grand slam titles that nadal has won so the first thing he said i was wondering that if i'd won what would you have shown because <laughs> obviously <laughs> this is going to be his first and then they were sort of saying um oh you know you're two sets and a breakdown what were you thinking he said well i was thinking about what i was going to say in my speech and how you know rafa is uh, you know one thing i don't like i do not like the question and answer that they do at the US Open. No. So I agree. a lot of grand slams you you step like Australia step up to the microphone with your trophy, say what you want to say here. It's like a question and answer session and then they almost and both of them, both Medvedev and Nadal had to at the end grab the mic and say, "Oh, you know, Medvedev was like, "Oh, can I thank my team?" and and Nadal was like, "Well, I've got a few words to say." Don't especially after 5 hours, don't don't do it like an interview. Just give them the microphone and let them go i so that's yeah i didn't agreed and yeah. if you want to start with like
1: with a question then you just say off you go yeah wow you, you've reached the final what an incredible run you've been on like yeah. what do you make of that and then just Lovely. let them go yeah just a generic sort of setup and then
0: just give them the mic yeah like what was going through your mind and when you hit this and when you did that and what about just just because the emotions are there and they've got all these people to because it never ever was like oh you know can i thank my team and did a bit of that and it, yeah, I just, um, but can I ask you about a gentleman that you have coached in the past? Of course, there aren't many. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Lapthorne, who won his second US Open title in the quad wheelchair singles. He, he not only beat the world number one, Dylan Olcott, who he then teamed up with in the doubles to win the doubles title. He destroyed Dylan Olcott 6-1, 6-love in the
1: final. Yeah. Huge news for Andy. He hasn't won the US Open title for quite a few years. Actually. I think it's 2014 was the last time that he won it. Yeah, it's been a really great summer for him because we had the quad tournament at Wimbledon for the first time, which I know that him and Dylan have both been campaigning for for such a long time. Uh, and that was a huge success. Uh, well, not for Lapthorne because he lost by nearly the same score that he beat Alcott with in US Open. He nearly lost by that at Wimbledon. He lost to To Dylan at Wimbledon, and then he beat him Love and One in the US. But yeah, no, great really pleased for him he's such a nice guy i coached him for well, i suppose the best part of two years probably about 18 months or so i think um a few years ago i also worked with a couple of the other uh, wheelchair players so it's amazing what they can do i've tried to play in a in a chair like so i they were all teaching me but there's nothing to teach because <laughs> i can't move so <laughs> it's so hard to move yeah it's phenomenal what they do um and in the quad division it's always a small tournament but wheelchair tennis is going from strength to strength and in my mind again i haven't done the research on this oh here we go here we go i think there'll come a time where you say to me can you actually look some stuff up before we start recording the pod but no it's fine remember we've got the ish you
0: you are becoming i thought i would be the ish. you are becoming the ish i'm more of the ish (laughs)
1: that's true What I was going to say is that, I mean, these guys earn a huge amount of money from this sport, whether it's in the men's, the women's or the quad division. They've got the Grand Slams through the year. In my mind, it is the most professional uh disability sport just globally i I can't think of any other sport that you can earn what they do just through the year and of course you've got the paralympics which is such a huge event but that's only once every four years and you've got some other bits and pieces the invictus games and, and and those sorts of things but actually these guys they just play through the year this is their their job their profession they earn incredibly well out of it and uh and they also put on a really good display and it's great entertainment for the people who buy the tickets. So, um, yeah, I'm a big, big fan and and always excited when uh, when the Brits do
0: well. Absolutely. And we should say congratulations to Alfie Hewitt, who won the singles and he teamed up with Gordon Reid and they won the doubles. So, yeah. well done. To- and of course, if we, if I'm turning into results service now for the Brits, Jamie Murray in the mixed doubles. Actually, this brings me on nicely. Jamie Murray in the mixed doubles with Bethany Matic Sands, which brings me on to studying and Harvard. As people may have seen on social media, Caroline Wozniaki at Harvard a lot. And I have to say, I didn't really know what was going on. I thought, why on earth is she at Harvard? What's going on here? But this is something you've been... Well, you've been following it a lot closer than I have.
1: Yes. Um, this is an initiative that the WTA have um, put into action. And basically, lots of players... Doing degrees, I suppose this is the, the best, the best way to put it. Um, Sloan Stevens graduated in two thousand and seventeen. Not from Harvard though. Um, she went uh, to Indiana, I think. Well, she didn't go to Indiana. She's kind of busy. <laughs> 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 but but, uh, but they uh, study uh, at the university and they do a lot of. Um, it's, it's online and they do. Uh, they team up with other students via kind of Skype and do video lessons together and that sort of thing Um, but it is it's a a great thing and it's just something that I wanted to highlight because people don't particularly I work a lot in 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 Britain obviously with the juniors here and there is such a lack of understanding that a lot of the players either never stop their education or they pick it up at certain points in, in their career and I mean, you can look at anyone. I mean, Vera Zvonareva got three degrees whilst she was a player. She was world number two, two two-time Grand Slam finalist. And she just kind of kept going she got a master's degree as well there are so many players you can point to and say that they are in education they are doing degrees Uh, some of the young ones as well coming up through the ranks that they don't stop and i just find that in this country in the uk a lot of juniors feel like well as soon as they get a little bit successful then they're just going to concentrate on tennis and not do education and now look some of them might want to do that and that's absolutely fine but um just want to make it known that a lot of these players are doing a lot of education whilst on the road. You do have a lot of time as well. And the WTA have been really supportive of this. So there's been four spots. There were four spots at Harvard, and it went to Bethany Mattak Sands, Caroline Wozniacki,
0: Vanya King, and Andrea Petkovic. Um, so, yeah. I think it's brilliant. And you know, I think it's also a good thing. I didn't know about the others and I knew about Caroline Wozniacki because I follow her on social media and she has been doing a lot of videos, a lot of pictures, you know, in the store with the jumper. And while at the time I didn't realise it was through an initiative, what it does is it, it puts it out there and, and there are so many uh, young girls and boys that will follow Caroline Wozniaki, look at her as a role model and to see her Studying, I think that's that's also it's a positive that WTA have done this helping out the players because, as you know, tennis careers you know you've got a life after your tennis career. but I also think it's good mm. that people who have such a high profile as Caroline Wozniacki are doing it and talking about it, because then others will think, "All oh, right, okay, I can do this." And I don't know, maybe at a basic level, studying is cool. Yeah. No, you're not all going go to go. You're not all going to go to Harvard. That doesn't happen. But the fact that actually doing something else and preparing for something else. Is, well, something you've got to do, but also it's quite a good thing. It's quite a fun thing. Yeah, and um, she's doing business
1: studies, I believe. Um, so again, in that group, those four players are much more towards the end of their careers. So they're clearly yep. planning for, as you say, post-tennis, what are they going to do? And you talk about inspirations and role models continuing education. One of the players that graduated alongside Sloane Stevens, Venus Williams. So there we go. it's, it's just something that I don't think is talked about enough. Um, And we do often get these um, great interviews with the WTA players, particularly uh, most of them from Courtney Nguyen, uh, (laughs) WTA insider. And we do kind of learn that, oh, they're doing a degree or oh they've started their second degree. How interesting. But I I don't think people realise, particularly within elite tennis, junior tennis, that sort of circle that it is is it it is something that is very normal. It's not abnormal. You don't have to be the smartest tennis player ever to be able to manage studies and playing. And I think a lot of the youngsters in the UK think that they either play full-time and that's it and might possibly do some sort of minor course that doesn't really mean very much on the side or they go to college and get the full degree and play out there. Whereas actually you you can do something slightly different. You you can get a degree whilst being a pro on the tour as well, and many
0: do. But these places at Harvard, you can't just walk into them. They have to be studying and doing some bits and pieces to qualify. Again, on the flip side, it's not just, oh wow, okay, I'm a tennis player, I'm gonna go to Harvard. These guys have been doing stuff around it to get that place. Yeah, and it's
1: not one of those honorary degrees that they give you when you're just like really (laughs) famous. (laughs) and they're like come and have a cap and an honorary degree no that's not how it works yeah they they have to have maintained a certain uh gpa They, they have to get in ultimately and yes they are thought of favorably because of what they've achieved in tennis because they show a lot of dedication and commitment and there's a lot you can show about yourself from being a professional player so that all counts towards it uh whereas of course the, the standard applicant has to prove all of that within their academics really um, and being a, being a tennis player is um, incredibly valuable just like it helps you get a job I know lots of people who have played tennis to a high level and they walk into an interview and they talk about their life as a professional tennis player and they get bumped right up above people who, who either have degrees already or have something that they don't have. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of value in
0: that as well. Now, we're not quite at degree level, but we are three and a half days in to school life. I know. And how's it going? You're still alive? Were there tears? No tears. Um, I, possibly from my side because I was quite jet lagged. So I, I was, I was in a very surreal place. But they just, they just, they both waved. Uh, my brother was there with me and and a dad, and they were like, just leave them, just walk away from them. Uh, but I needed the wave. When you get the wave, you know they're fine. You know if they, oh, if you good. actually, if they just wave at you, like they're in a good place. No, they liked it. They. Um, but the thing is, why does this not work at home? They came back and they said, "Mummy, at school, we cannot speak." Oh, we can, we have to, if we want to ask a question, we've got to put a hand up. And I said, they are the rules. You've got to put your hand up to ask a question. And I was like, shall we do that at home? And they just looked at me as if I was crazy. And they were like, no, that's school rules. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. I said, maybe, maybe at home we could do something similar. No, mummy, that's what we do at school. If you're a teacher, we'll put a hand up and we'll ask a question. And they also do things like, before they go in, they have to sort of stand in this line. How they're all standing in a line. I can't get them to stand in a line anywhere. Like, they'll just stand in this line and wait patiently until the gates open and in they go. I mean, it's, it's three days in and they're eating everything, standing in lines, putting their hand up to ask a question. I mean, it all goes out the window and they come home. Out the window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no discipline. But did they, they like it? Yeah, they enjoy it. Um, they seem to, yeah... I think they, well, they, they want to go back in the morning. That's the positive. In the morning, off we go. It, it, but they take eight. They walk. I walk quite slowly. They walk really slowly. So I'm kind of dragging them along. I'm like, come on, boys. Because school, there's things like if you're late, they shut the gates. And then, you, it's all, then you're like, oh, no, I can't trouble. I you know. can't be locked out on day three. So um, no, they seem to enjoy it. They run out and they're happy. At the end of the day, they're happy to go back. They've already been invited to two birthdays, which seems quite excessive. The, the mums plus one dad WhatsApp group is, there's almost smoke coming out of it. There is so much going on there. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, which I, I, I do read sometimes. Uh, no, it, it is useful. So it's, no, we're in full swing. The email's coming through about this and that and what's going on is a little bit sort of mind bending. But no, we're up and running and they're happy. And and we're okay. So um, so school school's going well. Oh, good. Which is good. Um, oh, something something uh to mention is we should let people know that we're doing something. We're going to do something with the mugs. Oh, are we? You know, we're going to do something with the mugs. Have you forgotten already? So, listeners, I'm I'm
1: being informed of this just as you are. <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? You, G- know. <laughs> you know it. We're not. We're not going.
0: I can't believe it. Okay. An executive decision has been made. <laughs> you know we're doing something with the mugs, we doing so, with mugs? I, You know, <laughs> do you want me to make mugs Naomi and I do, we do talk sometimes just sometimes we're gonna contact the people who a while back got in touch saying they'd like a mug I'm gonna get in touch with those people oh, okay am I not have you forgotten about this what happened how have you forgotten about I this? don't know the US Open <laughs>
1: happened I've been distracted basically your job is to get producing mugs oh right okay Great,
0: I can do that, and I'm gonna deal with I'm gonna deal with the other side of things. Well, at least I'll get a mug out of this as well because I still don't have mine. So. <laughs> no, you can't take someone else. You can't take someone else's mug. That's for someone else. Why not? But well, because yours is on your street somewhere. So just go and find your mug. So yeah, coming soon. Something. So i uh, be getting in touch with people on Twitter and Instagram. So coming soon, mug stuff. Is that all right? That is exciting. That is exciting. Maybe you'll get a message too. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> now, what's um, what are you up to? What's because we're not working together for the rest of the year. No, <laughs> I don't know. We're talking about the rest of the year. Yes, we are.
1: I don't know. Are we? Well, we're definitely doing the O2 together.
0: You're there, right? Oh yes. Are you there? Okay, lovely.
1: Yeah. Um, so we'll be at the O2 together. That would be fun. That's one of my favourite weeks all year. Mainly because we're together, hey. and maybe Paris. I don't know. I'm doing
0: quite a lot of travelling between now and then. We're not going to be together this week because I'm I'm going to the Solheim Cup. Amazing, amazing. No, I'm excited. It's it's at Glen Eagles. Um, I've I've never been up to Glen Eagles, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. We're actually going to be walking the course, so a lot of time when you commentate, even if you're on site, you're in a box.
1: If I get word because I do have eyes and ears everywhere that you're you're hitting somebody up to start
0: a golfish podcast <laughs> there will be consequences just saying there'll be no more podcasts i promise but no i'm, I'm looking forward to it. it's going to be fun i will report back i'll report i'll report back next week so it's it's glenn eagles and then it's champions league on on that note i've got to go and continue my golf prep okay bye bye